When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. A Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolor paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 400,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Daniel LaRue, your host, and so happy to be with us for this episode. As many of you will know, Scott Brooks was fired earlier today, this is on Wednesday, and the first person I thought of talking to is Oklahoma native Ed Mazinette. He is the editor-in-chief of the Sports Fan Journal, and he knows this Oklahoma team really well, so I wanted to talk to him about Brooks and Oklahoma City, their futures, and we get into a lot of other topics related to the Thunder and his cancer, Dion Waiters, everything, everything in between, Kevin Durant, of course. And then we go on to other topics. The Hawks were sold right before we start our conversation, so we talked about that and the playoffs in general. The conversation runs about 50 minutes. I really enjoyed it, as I always love talking to Ed. That's why he comes on as much as I'll have him, and I hope you like it too. Thanks so much for coming on. It has already been a chaotic day, my brother. Thanks for having me. Yeah, nothing new for you. How's it going? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Look, man, it's uh, you got you guys know why I'm here. You know, this is this is the official, this is the official day. This is like when Eddard Stark got his head cut off. Like we all knew it was coming. Um, they put his head on a spike, and this is essentially what's happened to Scott Brooks. And and now it's like we can finally move on from everything we've already been saying about Scott Brooks for years and years and years. So I think for me, the place that I want to start with you is the idea that there are kind of two names that have been floating around the Thunder even before this happened. One is Billy Donovan and the other is Kevin Ollie. What do you think about those two names? And is there somebody else that you've already thought beyond Will B that would be a great fit for the next OKC coach? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, Billy Donovan and Kevin Ollie are a part of the homeboy syndrome right now because 
you know, they have the closest relationships to Sam Presti and to that Thunder organization. Donovan um, has had a relationship with Presti for a long time. And Kevin Ollie was one of the first mentors for those Thunder players and, and, and now has gone on to have success at UConn. So the first obvious choice that anyone's going to have are the people that are closest to you. So there is some desire to see those two guys in the role. Uh, but me personally... As much as I like those guys, those guys feel like the same type of hire that Scott Brooks was, which was a young emerging coach who has some promise, um, but you still don't know what they would look like in that light because they never coached at the NBA level. Now, you can say that for that's not that's not something that is an end all be all, because good Lord, look at what happened with Steve Kerr uh, at Golden State. Looks what look what happened with Jason Kidd when he was at Brooklyn and now has gone on to have even more success in Milwaukee. Um, but then you could look at the alternate side with someone like Derek Fisher and what he's doing with the Knicks. So um, bringing in a new guy with no NBA head coaching experience isn't necessarily a first reason why you should or shouldn't do something um, but they need to get the right guy and so as much as I like Ollie and I like possibly like Donovan I think there's going to be some intrigue to see what happens with Thibodeau when he leaves the Bulls um, I actually am really intrigued to see if uh, what Mike Malone is talking about after he was exiled by Vivek in Sacramento um, and I think there's some other guys that are in the pipeline of uh, on assistant somebody's assistant coach someone like uh, my man uh, Kenny I can't remember his last name he's one of the assistant coaches at, under Budenholzer and he's got a really high he's gotten really high recommendations uh, you'd think he'd have higher recommendations if I can remember his last name, um, or even I made Doka at the Spurs uh, as an assistant coach, someone who's got a good mind, former player, understands situation scheme and how to get space for their for players. I think there's going to be a lot of interesting candidates. Oh, and we can't forget Mark Jackson. His name is invariably going to come into this discussion as well. I'll, I'll add in that the coach you're talking about is Kenny Atkinson. He's the Atkinson, coach, coach yes. Atkinson for the Hawks. The other guy, I don't know what his contract situation is. It's, sometimes it can be hard to, to know that for coaches. But Rick Carlisle, I think, is the ideal coach for, for oh. this for the Thunder team. Just because I think he's one of the five best coaches in the league. So if you can get one of the five best coaches in the league, you get one of them. Oh, and, and, and exactly. So that's that's the other part that I think is going to be really interesting is I, I agree with you 100 percent. Like, I think if you gave me my choice of any coach in the NBA that is possibly a get, I probably would want Carlisle. Right. He's the man. And he and he's proven to take situations that are fractured or need something to get over the hump. And he's proven that he's been able to do that from his time in Indiana, Detroit and now Dallas. Um, so guys like that will be interesting to see if they're willing to step out of what their current situation is. Um, I remember there was a time when people were clamoring for Doc Rivers to come to Oklahoma City, which was intriguing. I don't know. I think that's still that's kind of hilarious to think about now. But that was something that people really clamored for at some point um i remember people were clamoring for brad stevens uh even just last season uh you know a couple years ago when there was a thought of you know him going to boston and things like that now i don't think brad stevens is a get now but again to your point there i i don't know i'd actually ask you are there other coaches that are currently coaching that you think might be willing to step out of their current role and look at what oklahoma city's talking about well, I mean, you, you brought up Thibodeau. I think Thibodeau is definitely one of the guys who is who is on that table. I mean, I it's funny you mentioned Stevens. I think Stevens, beyond being really young, I mean, it's worked out super well for them. Uh, I don't I don't know in terms of current coaches. I mean, I think Terry Stotts has done a very good job, but I don't think that I, I don't think that he's really in that position right now to to make that jump. But 
the OKC job is the most desirable job that's been open in a while, even if Kevin Durant only has one guaranteed year left because they just have so much talent. And if you're a guy like Alvin Gentry, let's say, and you get the opportunity to at least show what you can do with that. And if I were a coach, I would, if I were a coach that was in demand, which is exactly who OKC should go after, you might want to do something that has a shorter term on it. But I think that OKC should go as hard as they can for this short term because the goal of all of this is to do as well as you can to keep Kevin Durant. And Nate Duncan and I recorded last night and we talked a little bit about the Kevin Ollie rumor and I went on a little bit of a, a rant about how what we've learned from the Steve Kerr, Stephen Curry thing, because Curry and Mark Jackson had a very positive relationship by all accounts, is that you hire the best coach and winning will make the player happy. And I think that's what OKC needs to do. Is it possible that the guy who has a great relationship with KD already is the right coach? Sure, it's possible. But I wouldn't make that the priority. I would make getting the right fit the priority. Exactly. And you, and it's interesting you bring up someone like Gentry uh, because, you know, he's had his hands in three of the greatest offenses of the last decade. That seven seconds or less Suns offense, uh, the Clippers last year just working as an assistant with Doc on that Clippers team last year, and now this Golden State uh, team uh, that's been unprecedented. So, you know, I think that's a really good call. It would be, it, it seems like that would almost be the tough sell because he's an assistant and he's got that much time in the league, but in a certain certain sense, he makes almost the perfect sense in the world. And I think the other name that you're going to also hear uh, which is going to be just fascinating to 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 laugh at is probably Dan Tony just because of his offensive philosophy and it would be I, I actually kind of would love to see Dan Tony be the coach of the Thunder just to see how many point how many more points and assists Westbrook could possibly put up under the Mike D'Antoni system. I think that would be hilarious to watch. How about D'Antoni as the offensive coordinator and Mike Malone as the defensive coordinator? Well, see, that's that's always the thing when you see how coaching staffs are put together now. You you start to see that more where there's clearly a focus of someone who is a defensive first guy and they can implement their strategy. And then you have this like offensive coordinator um, type thing that we would see in football. And if I'm Sam Presti and I have the support of my ownership and money's no option, hell yeah. Like do, do it. Like at this point, like you said, they're going to have to do whatever they can to try to, Salvage isn't the right word because I am actually uh, not that worried about what's going to happen with KD and Russ. Like, to me, that roster is so good that you really just ha- – you just don't mess it up. Like, just don't mess up what you currently have. And you get a good coach in there that can gain the trust of the players and can can improve what's already there. Then I don't think there's any chance in, in Hades that they're going to leave. And, and, you know, if you think like, hey, can I get two powerhouse coaches, assistant coaches to come here and kind of co-lead the ship? Then you do that. But the the whole point on Presti is like we've already adored him as one of these like he's a he has a chance to be like a kingmaker at some point if he can just get one title on Oklahoma City. But this might be his toughest job because I think there are a lot of worthy candidates. Um, but you're everything is on the line with this hire. You want to hear my dream scenario? You go to a you go for this is more for my own entertainment, I guess. You yeah. go to you go to more of an NBA or NFL style, and you have. Dan Tony as the offensive coordinator, Mike Malone as the defensive coordinator, and then a head coach above them, even though they have a, a lot of authority and autonomy, and that head coach is Mark Jackson. 
Well, I mean, yes, that would be yes. I, I that I'd love that. I think the coaches would probably fight within two two weeks of each other. We already know about Malone and and Mark, so you know how that might not end well, all oh, that well. I, I'm talking about entertainment. I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know that if it involves me advocating for Mark Jackson, that it's on an entertainment grounds more than on a coaching grounds. But I do think that his best role, if he wanted to go back into it, would be more as a leader of men and not as the lead tactician. And if he were willing to kind of set that part of his ego aside to have let's say a coaching staff like what Steve Kerr has with the Warriors now, and you let those guys, you respect their ability, you let them do a lot of it, and you do more of setting the tone, I think Jackson could do great in that role, which is, in for certain teams, that's how NFL teams do it. Not always. You can see teams like Chip, what Chip Kelly's doing with the Eagles. But OKC is, you're right, that I, there's there are plenty of reasons to be confident that Kevin Durant's going to stay. I think that a lot of ways, and you and I have talked about this before, I think that the the Ripple guy is actually not Durant, it's Russell Westbrook. Mm-hmm. Because if Westbrook indicates to Durant, and I'm not saying he's going to do this or isn't, I don't have insight into that. If he is non-committal that he's going to stay, then I think that makes it harder for Durant. Because this team without Russ is a very different team. And obviously Durant and Ibaka can be the core of at the minimum, a conference champion. I think they could still be the core of an NBA champion. But that changes things. So I think that Durant will have to have all of the information that he can to make his decision. But we're going we're gonna to have to see what Russ wants. Right. And, oh, and, here, and this is the other thing I want to talk about briefly with Brooks and this roster. There are too many times when you look over on that sideline and you see how the players act and react. And then you just kind of wonder who's really in charge here, right? That, there are always times where you looked at Brooks and, you know, the players love Brooks, but you also kind of think, man, maybe the players really like Brooks because Brooks kind of lets them do what they want. And you can see the evidence in a variety of ways. Them boys talk as crazy as they want to. They always lead the league in technical fouls. We know that the offense is basically, hey, dog, here's the ball. Do what you got to do. And then the offense goes from there, which is sad because I would actually say that the offense this year showed as much promise as it ever has um, with the type of motion they were able to get on the, each side of the floor um, and getting Russ the ball at the top of the key with some type of motion action versus just giving him the ball at the top of the key and saying go. Right. Like I actually thought they actually did some things to get some open shooters for the first time ever. But it also probably shouldn't have taken seven years for that to finally evolve when players are going down like crazy. And that's always actually been the biggest caveat with me and Brooks. I actually thought that Brooks, when forced to innovate, he actually would do some decent things. But if you gave him, you know, for the longest time, he got chided about his roster management and in particular his lineup management. He would hardly ever deviate. He would always play Kendrick Perkins and he'd always play Tabo Cephalosha and he'd never bring in anybody else off the bench uh, to start or to match up. And he was so rigid against that. And finally, when players started breaking down, players had to play. And we start to see players develop. And it's like, oh, man, like the Thunder's roster is even better than we imagined. But we probably could have figured that out a couple of years beforehand. And the same thing with players going down. Now the offense has finally had to evolve into something different than, hey, dog, get the ball and do what you got to do. Like it evolves. So he's always been a slow adapter, in my opinion. Uh, But I think when he's done it, he's done well. And I actually think that's going to serve him well in his next job, be it 
Orlando or uh, any other job that opens up Sacramento, whatever job that he wants to take. Yeah, that was exactly where I wanted to go with it is. There, I think those jobs are both there. Also, Denver is Denver. compelling. And then the one that I would push real hard on, though I don't know if he has a relationship, is Minnesota. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Minnesota, I mean, if I'm Wiggins, I'm like, please bring Brooks here. Teach me all of your ways, right? Like, if you can do for me what you did for KD and Russ, like, so be it. To be fair, it's not like Brooks was, like, you know, waving his hand in front of KD and, like, you will now be an all-time leading scorer, right? But um, I think he could definitely share some insight there. I like him there. I, I, I think if I'm Brooks... I might want some warmer weather and uh, I might want an easier path to playoff contention. So Orlando might be um, an easier sell for me uh, because the expectations are so low. Right. Uh, But uh, anywhere he goes, I think he'll do fine. And, you know, Coaches usually get better the second time around. There's just different sets of expectations. So, you know, I put this I put this out earlier. People are never going to fully appreciate what Brooks did in Oklahoma City because you want a coach that can take it damn near to the mountaintop. There isn't, there hasn't been, I can't, you tell me, I can't remember a, the last time a young team that literally started to the bottom literally almost got their way to the mountaintop with the same coach. It does, that does not happen. Uh, it does, it hardly ever happens. Even when Phil Jackson got the Bulls, Collins had them as a top three team in the East, and it took Phil Jackson to give them over the hump. You know, Popovich, was there middling, you know, in the in the middle middle uh, seeds in the West, and then when Robinson and those got Duncan, those guys, and they became perennial winners. But that doesn't happen. So Brooks deserves a ton of credit, and you know, I still think he has some ways to grow as a coach, um, and he could be a, maybe a, a really great coach at some point. Yeah, I, I think he has a lot of potential as well. What I've been thinking about with him is that I think at this point in his career, if a team could pull it off, will will be amazing. You said how he led them that far. I also think that it would be awesome for him to kind of shepherd teams into the next level, which is what Orlando needs. And then maybe you have you have the idea that then he can move on somewhere else. You know, like so you could have him be the the equivalent of a Mark Jackson. You know, have him do a couple years, have him turn things around. Granted, OKC, I mean Orlando already has the effort part of it down. Pretty well. Mm-hmm. That, that team tries pretty hard. But I think that Brooks is even better in that place than he is in the other one. But generally, you can't separate. You can't be like, hey, we want you for this part, and then we're going to cut you loose. Granted, I think there are always teams that have an interest in what Scotty Brooks brings. I think he's an. I think he, he can do that. But what I wanted to ask you about in terms of development, we're hearing a lot already, and some very smart people have talked about the importance that he's had in developing these guys. I, I definitely see some of that. However, what I do worry about is that a lot of the current young guys that they have who are less talented than Russ and Katie and all that, those guys we haven't seen a ton out of. We haven't seen Perry Jones get a lot better. We haven't seen Jeremy Lamb get a lot better. So what I'm wondering is whether it might be between the two that Brooks has helped make their development better for those guys, but that those guys were great talents with amazing work ethics anyway. And so maybe he's getting a little of their shine. Yeah, sure. I, I think Perry Jones and Jeremy Lamb are always these walking conundrums on that roster. 
you know, Perry Jones for for the you know, Perry Jones might have saved Oklahoma City at the very beginning just because he was able to step in and uh, you know, carry some of the load. I think that's what happens when you have just an ultra talented roster. I don't know who Jeremy Lamb is supposed to play ahead of, especially after some of the other moves that happened. He's not gonna play ahead of Anthony Morrow. He's not going to play of Andre Roberson. He's not going to play ahead of Deion Waiters. Uh, and Jeremy Lamb has this guy named Kevin Durant that plays the same position as him. Now, I do like some of the things that Oklahoma City has done with Perry Jones. And I actually think they should try to keep Jer- Perry Jones because he can just guard multiple positions. And, you know, he, he has a skill set that is really hard to 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 find. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, however, now they're at the end of their deals. And my thought was, man, if you know. I don't know. They were in a tough spot because I think they always kept Lamb and Jones for the the sake of, man, we're going to maybe make a run. We might need these guys for certain situations. So it's better to have them with us than to let them go and maybe get nothing for it. Um, but now they're in a situation going into this offseason where, man, I, I really love their roster. I, they have this lottery pick, and I think they should trade the lottery pick. That's just my opinion. Unless they get top three, you know, top three pick in the draft. I don't know what they are supposed to draft that could actually come in there and help them. You can draft and try to stockpile for the future. They've got a history of doing that. They've got guys in the D League and things like that, and that stuff is cool. But if that means that they could upgrade and take that number one pick and package Jones and Lamb and that number one to go get an upgrade maybe with another another shooting guard or another big or whatever that may be, that's probably going to be the better move um, because there's just not that many that many places for someone to develop on this roster uh, unless they're going to try to develop a backup point guard. And I love what Augustine did this season for that roster. They've got five bigs. They've got and and they're all young. Canner's young. Adams is young. Abaka's entrenched there, and they've got McGarry and Collison's there is the the shaman of the roster to to give wisdom and influence. Like if you're a big, you're never going to play. So and anything that anybody that plays the wing, well, you got KD there, so you're probably not going to get shot. So you have to try to be Andre Roberson and just play defense and everything. Problem is he can't shoot. So, you know, I don't know. I I, I kind of think they could probably push all their chips in to try to get a I don't want to say a stud two guard, uh, but a, a some someone that could kind of do a bit of everything. Um, and they, they kind of have that in waiters. But of course, it's Dion waiters. So that's not necessarily a tenable situation. So my my next question to you was actually not going to be a question. It was going to be opening the floor to you to say whatever you want to about Dion Waiters, and if you want me to do the same after, you can give me that privilege or not. <laughs> you know what? I, I I love Dion Waiters. Period. I I, I think he's. He's one of those guys, he's, he, he's like Westbrook in the way that you'd rather have him on your team than, than having to go against him because you just don't ever want that coming at you. And, and, you know, he has his faults. He, But, you know, he I would say he was kind of responsible for helping get Oklahoma City to the finish line to even having a shot of getting to the playoffs, man. But um, I think if you just sit back and embrace Deion's game, it's cool. And... He, he he's always going to be one of those guys too that you you say if you can get the right coach to work with him the right way 
then you could really bear fruit with him. And I think Brooks, to a degree, was doing that with him over time. But at the same time, you know, he's always going to be that guy that just drives people nuts. And, and and if you're not here for the entertainment, then, yeah, I can understand why you want him off the team and you just can't deal with him at all. But I love Dion. I, I, I think they should keep him. And I think uh, I, I like I like what he does for the team. I like that you made the comparison to Westbrook because I, I've had a lot of trouble over the years articulating why I'm so frustrated by Dion Waiters. And I think that the difference is what's important is that he has that mentality. He has that, that fighter in him. And I've noticed that I covered the draft that he was in and he has that intensity. He has that belief in himself, which you want all your good players to have. The problem is I don't think he's good enough yet to play the way that he does. And mm-hmm. I think that's the problem is that if you had somebody, if you had a guy who was Russell Westbrook, but, and believed in himself and thought his shots were good shots and those shots didn't go in, then you would want to break everything, which is what I do when I watch Dion waiters. <laughs> and so I, from an appreciate from an entertainment standpoint, he brings it, but that's why I want to see him on bad teams, not on good teams, because he believes that he's one of the best players on the floor, regardless of who's on the floor with him, which is great in certain circumstances and horrendous when you're playing with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, because you are not. You absolutely are not. Uh, But we'll move on from Dion to the other challenging decision that Oklahoma City has to face, and that's Ennis Cantor. Mm -hmm. If you're Sam Presti, is there an amount that that would be untenable for you? Go, that's too much for Cantor. I think they've already made the decision that they're going to re-sign Cantor at all costs. So I don't know what that number is. Um, I think they've already made the decision that the luxury tax, they're comfortable with it, which is is a hilarious thing. And there will be plenty of people that will want to jump on OKC for the things that they are about to do because they're like, oh, you could have done this years ago. And we're not going to delve into that. Uh, I think the bigger issue with Cantor is that Oklahoma City is basically going to have to make a decision on if they want Cantor or Steven Adams, because I just wonder how much Steven Adams is going to command on the market. And if you're going to have room for Canner, Baca and Adams all on the roster and have McGarry there lurking in the, in the immediate future. Right. I think there, that, that front court, that four, four man uh, group as a front court is probably almost everything you want in a in a in a front court they they do everything you want and the fact that kevin durant can slide in and be that other power forward if it need be is terrifying right uh so you know canner canner is like you know at times i'm like man he reminds me of Elajuan, and i know that sounds blasphemous but like some of the things it he is does blasphemous. Off, it is blasphemous it but is blasphemous I'm only saying on an offensive standpoint. On offensive okay. standpoint, no, not defense. No, defensively, he's like, I don't even, have, I don't know, I don't have Swiss cheese. Okay, you know, whatever. He's terrible defensively, but offensively, he does some really, really, really good things. And the numbers he was putting up were, were like, you know, he's like an all star. He he looked like a, all his numbers he were putting up. He was putting up on a day daily basis, looked like an all star all star uh, center and. You can't replace that. I think the thing with Presti is he's going to have to make that decision of, hey, man, he's getting these numbers because person A and B aren't here. So am I willing to pay him like that? And so to your point, is there a number that I don't go past? And I think they're going to figure that out. But all signs are pointed that they're like all in on Canner. And I don't necessarily blame him because he's still that young and he still has so much more that he can do with his career. Yeah, I, I 
I'm not as high on Kanner as a lot of people, but at the same time, you're in the situation where, uh, with the way that the cap is going to be going up, that it's going to be hard, though not impossible, for a guy to not be worth it just with the way that this, the structure is going, because it's going to jump a couple of times because of the way the TV deal is working. So in the third and fourth years of that contract, it it's going to be a good contract. So mm-hmm. almost no matter what. But the, again, like with former Thunder player Reggie Jackson, there is a line that is too much. Like, you can't pay them the max or anything like that. Well, well but, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, does is Reggie really going to – like, I still question if he's going to get a max. I don't think he is. I think he's going to get, like, maybe 11 mm-hmm. and, may, and maybe even less than that. He He's a good player, but he's not – I don't know that he can run a quality NBA offense, even though he had nice chemistry with uh, Andre Drummond in that short stretch that they got to play together. Well, here's the here's the thing, too, and I think it's something – so you see with, like, DeAndre Jordan, right, and you see it with Reggie Jackson, and you see it with Canner, where guys step into situations when Blake Griffin goes down with the Clippers, and all of a sudden DeAndre Jordan is put in, putting up 20-20 nights every night, like, ridiculous. Hassan Whiteside putting up absurd numbers for a period of time because Chris Bosh isn't there, and, like, somebody's got to score, somebody's got to rebound, and, like, he's doing it. Reggie Jackson, he's the only guy there that can really do anything and facilitate the offense, and all of a sudden his numbers are eye-poppingly good. Same with Ennis Canner. So, you know, it's almost like you have to take the goggles off and put the real-life goggles back on and say, like, okay, well, yes, he's shown that he's capable of doing these things, but how much of that is because there's no one else that can get it, right? So what they do with Canner, I think, will speak more towards where they want the system to go and what they want to do as a as a team. Because I like what Ibaka's done becoming a three-point shooter. I know a lot of people, like they're like, he needs to get to the paint. Nah, man, let Ibaka go out there and shoot them baseline threes. I'm totally okay with that because that gives – KD and Russ more opportunity to attack the rim and if that means you could put Canner on the offensive block and give him chances to not only post up but then be a great rebounder because that's not what Ibaka is really good at either is rebounding he can rebound but he's not necessarily great at it so um, you know I, I think those things will be telling when they decide to make the next couple of signings in, in the offseason. Yeah I, I definitely agree is there anything else OKC or, or do you want to move on to other things I want to talk about the Hawks if you want to it's all good, my brother. We can transition, man. All I got to all I got to say is this, man. If you're an Oklahoma City Thunder fan, just look, man. It's an I've I've got people texting me. They like 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 somebody's dog died. I've got people blowing my phone up. It's been crazy for about the last hour. So if you're an Oklahoma City fan, just keep your head up, keep calm. It's gonna be okay. You have no idea how great of a situation Oklahoma City is actually in. And when you start stressing about what's going to happen with Kevin Durant and the things they're about to do with the coaching situation, just know it can probably only go up from here. Because you're talking about Katie and Russ going into their absolute physical and mental primes. And there's a large percentage chance that Oklahoma City is going to reap the ben- reap the fruit of that. So... Just just, just be happy, man. It's going to be okay. I promise. So I, I agree with all that. And the other huge news, Adrian Wojnarowski broke both pieces, is that it looks like the Atlanta Hawks are going to be sold. The amount is up in question a little bit, but it, the, what I'm hearing is 850. Kevin Arnovitz tweeted out a couple other people too. And the other is that Anthony Ressler, who was the third bid on the Clippers, and also coincidentally, well, not coincidentally, his wife, 
was is an actress who was in Sixteen Candles and Twister. So I'm autom- I'm already on board. <laughs> does this mean <laughs> does this mean Danny Ferry gets to get his job back? I generally speaking, a GM does not get their job back when ownership changes. But who knows? I mean, Ferry was the architect of a very successful team, so this could be the this could be the difference. Also, they have the reigning coach of the year. Congratulations, Mike Budenholzer. So I think he has a little bit more leverage than you usually see in this kind of spot. Uh, yeah, this is going to be a fascinating, fascinating subplot because, you know, like this basketball team as a as a team has not really been a profitable one. And this is one of the first, and I think the it's going to be interesting to see what the final sale number is because I think... Uh, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but like they're this this ownership group isn't isn't going to make much of a profit on the sale, if I'm correct. And that like in this current day and age in the NBA, like that hardly ever happens. Right. So is that more telling on the city of Atlanta or is that more telling on the current ownership group? Um, and is it what will happen in with this current ownership group with this new ownership group? Will they be able to actually gain? from the success that's happening with the Hawks right now, because I would think I would be selling real, real, real high on what the Hawks have right now, because they, they've got good cap caps management. They've got a, a team that can last for years and they're in a the conference that they should be able to be in the top two or three for a long time. So I don't know. I find a lot of this pretty fascinating. Yeah, I do too. On from what I can tell in terms of the purchase and all that, the, the Spirit Group bought the Hawks and the Atlanta Thrashers and the operating rights to the arena for two hundred fifty million. So they did all. Oh, they, oh they, no, they, they did. did they did just fine. Okay, my apologies. Fine. Yeah, yeah, it, but it it's one of those circumstances where I I actually thought they were going to sell for more. This is I had some you know off the record conversations the last couple of days without any inside information. I thought they were going to go a little bit closer to a billion because where the TV deal is going. But I'm also really really happy for the team and the people of Atlanta because. When you have an ownership group that spends like that, to me what that means is that when you have a team that is already good, is that they will be willing to spend to keep the team together. Yes. And while you can't guarantee it because guys like Al Horford, they're unrestricted free agents, so that means that – and they will hit the market. That means that they can do whatever they want. But – Having ownership that is willing to spend, and I'm not doing this as a jab to to your team. Having <laughs> that, having that is one of the key pieces in the puzzle, and I like that we're going to get the answer to that question around the same time we're going to get it for the Golden State Warriors, because the Warriors are going to have a similar decision as the and the number one team in the other conference. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, man, people think it's sweet. When you're at the top, man, and when you have to make these decisions and you have ownership making these types of changes, anything can happen. So, you know, I, I'm here for the I'm just like you, man. I'm here for the entertainment, period. Like, I want to see how much fun this is going to be. Um, the only thing I just the only thing that makes me sad, I know I'm, I'm not I'm switching topics slightly. I'm just, you know, now that Oklahoma City's out and being a resident of Oakland, California, if the Warriors ever gonna do it, man, they better. I hope they do it now, and I hope they do it in Oakland, and I hope they celebrate in Oakland, and I hope they take it down Broadway, take it down Jack London, take it down Telegraph, and do it for Oakland one time before you know it goes to San Francisco and it, and it becomes a totally different beast because like people are just appreciating what's happening at Rural Court right now, and it's so much fun, and 
you know, like it's just not going to be the same. And that doesn't mean it's going to be worse. I'm just saying it's not going to be the same. So I don't know. I have selfish, selfish reasons for feeling that way. Yeah. One of the things that my, cause I cover the warriors that we talk about that's, I, I find perversely entertaining is where they would, if the warriors won a championship this year or next year, you know, kind of in this in-between phase where they would hold a parade. My theory has always been that they would do two and that the people from Oakland will be super pissed off about that. Oh, if they do too, it'll be a it'll be a problem. I mean, I I don't know. I, I guess the question would be: Is there any comparables? Has another team ever done more than one parade? I don't know, but considering how the Warriors' run has been, I feel like if any team has earned two parades, it's the Warriors. That's 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 pretty uh, that's pretty strong sentiment from you, my brother. I don't know. I I I mean, you know, well, if except, they decide except the Cubs, the Cubs obviously we're not counting the Cubs. Okay, fine. If they decided to take it up. Uh, the Bay Bridge, like, okay, then, like, that would be the longest parade ever. But it would make for some entertaining visuals um, to see Draymond on a float with Alcatraz in the back and, like, him smoking a cigar and Steph Curry with the shot boy. That would be just, like, phenomenal. That'd be, like, that'd be pretty cool. But I think that might be the only way they could actually pull it off. Otherwise, I don't know, man. I just can't see him not doing it in Oakland. And it would be the most... Like Warriors thing. Let's be clear. It would be the most Warriors thing ever if they just if it just turned out in Oakland, right? It, 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 the celebration would be great in San Francisco. Don't get it confused. Like I think, I think that it's this thing where they it causes uh, contention between the two cities, uh, and it's always been like that in the Bay Area. But it would just make for something that would be damn near revolutionary if you did it in Oakland. Um, and, you know, San Francisco's had all their – they've had parades. They, they've had three and five years with the Giants, man. You know, let, let's let see how Oakland would do it, man. I think it, it, it would – I think it would smell a lot different in Oakland versus if you did it in San Francisco, and I'm, I'm totally okay with that. Yeah, I think that it would have a lot of personality, and I think it would also reflect this Warriors team and fan base. I think that part of what scares a lot of us who have been a part of the Oracle experience for the last couple of years is – that no matter what, they're going to lose some of that edge when they move to San Francisco. I'm not criticizing the move. It was something that needed to be done for financial reasons because there there's some money stuff. If people want to hear about it, you can ask me on Twitter. But <laughs> the feeling in Oracle is something that you're not going to recapture. I think the parallel was actually a Bay Area one, which is the Giants. And so the Giants, it took them being a championship contender for the atmosphere to come back they didn't actually win it in 2002 in a world series i still don't remember because i blocked it out but it's going (laughs) to it's going to take something like that now the warriors could be fortunate and have that early on because they're going to be trying to gun to keep their team together until that point so they can make the transition and that's a challenge but so they should enjoy it while they have it and they should make it real Oakland. And then hopefully for them, they can win a championship at San Francisco and celebrate a San Francisco one there. Yeah. I mean, look, man, look, I, I, I think that's, that's the whole point we're making here. Like it will be different. It doesn't necessarily mean it'll be better. Candlestick has had some phenomenal moments and unlike, you know, and, and as far as I'm concerned, I know you want to block 2002 out your mind. Um, but as someone who loves Barry Bonds, that was by far one of the greatest things I've ever seen. And unfortunately, the Giants didn't win it. But like seeing Bonds do the things he did and the way that atmosphere was, 
it was again just different. It was it would never compare to ten, twelve, and fourteen. And, and, you know, with the, these giants, the, these giants teams. I know we're devolving over into baseball, uh, but I think the point we're just making is that like nothing Oracle Oracle and what ha- could happen in Oakland just could be unprecedented. And again, it's it's there's this other conversation about basketball in the NBA and the NBA the NBA is the only professional league like this where like unless you want to go to Europe in soccer but there's only so many people that do the winning in the NBA you know Jalen Rose always talks about hey man like there's only four Geppettos in the NBA it's Riley Jackson uh Popovich and Arabach and like over half the NBA titles come from that tree right so like the fact that Golden State could basically be the first team to break the mold since what the 04 Pistons a kind of a big deal and like you could also maybe even accredit something that Kerr's doing to Phil Jackson I don't and 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 Popovich so to that point maybe it's not as unique as it seems like it's it still would be a special thing but that just shows you like the amount of winning that happens in this league you know the it only comes from the best people and that's what that's the thing that makes what OKC's doing so hard and maybe that'll shape what they do as far as their next coach is concerned which why Carlisle I think would be the dream scenario is that look man just it's it's that hard to win and that's why it's still hard for me to think that golden state's gonna win the nba title like i still think it's lebron's to lose and like i know that might not be the popular thing to say but it's so hard it's so hard to break through that ceiling man so um this is what makes it fun and and that's why it's intriguing to watch yeah it, it definitely is and one of the things that i like to point out with that and it goes along with what you've been saying is how important star players are in terms of championships and the last time this is a stat i threw out back in the day in 2009 on vegan fish tacos my old site and it's still i i think i'd have to run the numbers but i think it's still true is that the last time that a team other than the pistons won an nba championship without having a player who had already won a regular season mvp was the 81 Celtics. And the 81 Celtics had Larry Bird. He just hadn't won one yet. Mm-hmm. So so you have to think about that. Granted, it's possible that the Warriors will have a player who has already won an, a regular season MVP by that point because Stephen Curry could win it this season. But you're right. It is a very narrow pool. And being in the pool is great. You have to push it as hard as you can while you have it. Oklahoma City, to circle it all back, Oklahoma City is one of the few other teams in the league that has a still prime former MVP. And so I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see where the league goes. And, and there are a couple teams, the Hawks are one of them, who are legitimate title contenders without one, the Clippers too. So will that hold even in what seems like a slightly new NBA, or will it change to a, a slightly new paradigm? I don't think it will. I think it's going to stay the same, but I'm excited to see it all the same. I'm with you 100%, my brother. Anything else you want to talk about? Man... Like I said, let's just see how this shakes out the next couple of weeks. Not to mention that we have st- we're still only in the first round of the NBA playoffs. So, you know, this is this is going to be fun. I'm, I just want to see what Paul Pierce is going to do. That's the, that's, that's what I was going to say. Any thoughts on Paul Pierce tro- basically becoming the most hated man by every fan base in the Eastern Conference other than his own? I, I mean, he made he look. He did us all a favor. He made the Eastern Conference 
interesting again to watch outside of Cleveland, right? Because, you know, man, none of us were going to go, none of us were paying attention to Toronto and Washington. And I'm sorry to Riri and Morgan and Mike Prada and, and all my people in DC and the T dot. I'm sorry. I don't mean any disrespect, but man, we weren't paying attention to y'all series and I'm going to watch the next game of the series. Now it's going to happen. Like, and like, I want to be, I want to see what happens with Brooklyn and how they play. Like I, with Darren Williams and Joe Johnson. Like, here's the thing. It's not like Paul Pierce said anything that wasn't kind of what people were thinking, right? And you could say that he might have broke some type of code and, you know, he, he he should know better and he could say these things now because he has a ring. But, look, man, Paul Pierce had the best game he's had in two years. And that was pretty cool, right? And the things that he's saying, you know, Maybe the, we all I think we all have higher expectations for guys like Joe Johnson and, and, and Darren Williams. And like I think everything that they've done in Brooklyn has been largely a disappointment. So hopefully that does put some spark into their fire, man. Like, you know, let's let's see what happens, man. I, I think it, it, it for the short term, it at least made the Eastern Conference more interesting for the next 48 hours. Yeah, it definitely did. I think that what made Pierce's statement notable for me is that he's a still active athlete. It isn't one of those guys throwing a lot of shade on a but after he retired, we see that all the time. Was a guy doing it while he was while he's still playing. And the other thing I thought was funny is he he did his whole thing about oh I I mean he was saying it you know in kind of the motivational ways like I don't want to go through customs again, which I thought is a great line. But at the same point, going through customs to Canada isn't that bad. Maybe I say that as a dual citizen, but still, it's not that bad. Yeah, no. I'm, what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, I'm learning things about Daniel Larue that I never knew. I knew I never knew you were like the John Claude Van Damme out here. I didn't realize. Yeah, I, I can't I can't do the splits between two moving cars, but I can get close. Okay, cool. See, man of many talents. Man of many talents. Just quickly, what has been in all of the in all of the playoffs, and I'm sure you've been watching. What is your what is your biggest takeaway so far? That Houston still is commanding no respect, and to me, they're terrifying. Even without Beverly, even without Monte Yunus, and maybe Dallas is just proving to be a really bad matchup uh, because watching Rondo melt down like that was hilarious, right? But this game, look, man, playoff basketball is all about commanding possessions in the half court and being able to get stops. And lest we forget, Dwight Howard's really good at defending the rim. And you got a half-court situation where James Harden has the ball. The likelihood that he's going to get to the rim, get fouled, or get somebody an open three-point shot is pretty high. Regardless if you know it's coming or not, it's really high. So it's one of those things like I don't know if there's a team that can fully shut that down, and it might take Golden State to get to the finals to do that. But Houston's terrifying, man. And, like, yeah, you might beat them for a game or two, but you got to go play seven games. It's a seven-game series for a reason. And, you know, the thing that's going to maybe come to haunt Houston is just that they the, the attrition and that bench. Um, but they got Jason Terry playing like he's 29 years old. They got Corey Brewer wearing that 33 like he's Scottie Pippen. Like, what is happening? I don't understand. Terrence Jones at times looks like – one of the 10 best power forwards in the NBA. I don't understand. Like, this is, this is, you know, and then I'm starting to think, is Kevin McHale actually, like, a good coach? Like, he's doing things. Like, I know it's that system and all hell, you know, Daryl Morey for what they're doing. But I'm just, I'm just petrified, terrified, and astonished at what Houston's uh, doing. And I just think they're a nightmare for anyone 
and it, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens with them. Yeah, they've they've done a really nice job, and what's been so encouraging is that they've gotten it in a way that I think is maybe not sustainable, but it bodes better for them in the second round. Dwight has looked great, and assuming they make it to the second round, assuming Rajon Rondo doesn't all of a sudden become playoff Rondo again if he ever makes the court again, is that <laughs> is that the, the way they're beating teams, as you said, with the half court and with their defense is something that will make the series at minimum a lot harder, but definitely winnable against the Clippers or the Spurs. I mean, we'll see who they end up facing, assuming that happens, but they've become relevant to the championship picture, which is a huge and, I would say, incredibly gratifying step at this stage in the process. Absolutely. Absolutely. And side note, speaking of the Clippers, like, yo, is Blake Griffin going to be back to just dunking on people with reckless abandon? Because if he is totally here for that and the clippers you know the clippers have this interesting thing where they like kind of all act like they don't get along but at the same time like they kind of sometimes channel that out on other teams and so you know like they look kind of scary good and i know we i don't ever want to overreact to game one i think that's the other thing is like you don't ever really want to overreact to game one man but you know the Clippers is just like, man, why not the Clippers? So seeing Clippers in Houston in the second round could be, could make for some real entertainment. And I would say the over-under on people getting punched in the nuts, it would probably at one, probably be over-under at one and a half, and I might take the over. What about people getting farted on? Wow, that's, the, the funny thing is, okay, so the funny thing is about that is that, I, you know, I, I play pickup basketball on a fairly regular basis. And people fart while playing basketball all the time. I'm a culprit. I've done it before. It's no, it's, it's no thing. So, like, getting farted on is probably, like, more disrespectful because, like, you do that and they know you did it. But I feel I also feel like that kind of just happens all the time. So I'd put that number pretty high. Let's just let's put it over under, like, 25. I'll take the over. And with Blake, I would totally take the trade-off if he's going to tone down the dunks in the regular season and then become a monster in the playoffs when it's a limited time. I, I'm – Totally happy with that. If he wants to do that for the rest of his career, I'm good. Well, it seems like he might have been just, you know, like, I think that's the thing about being a pro and the more you play in the league and as long as these seasons are, look, man, you pick and choose your spots, man. And, like, that was the thing that I always hated about the Celtics, the big three Celtics. It's like, man, they can play like some absolute dogs, and then they will try and try and try to turn it on in the fourth quarter. And there were times where they could absolutely do it. And I think when they got older, they were in their mid-30s, late-30s. Like, they just couldn't do it like they wanted to. But, yo, Blake's still young. And, like, he, he, you know, his numbers were down a little bit this season. He didn't attack the rim as much as he used to. Uh, but he looked, he looked fresh. He looked angry in game one. And it's not like San Antonio really has anybody to guard him. So, uh, you know, I think there is I think I was listening to Simmons podcast and he mentioned like maybe they should throw Kawhi on, on Blake. And that's definitely an option. Uh, I don't know if it's a good one, but it's definitely an option. But like if Blake decides he's going to just go YOLO for the series, San Antonio might be done. And so um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with game two for sure. To me, it's a little bit depressing to have one of these teams definitely out after this round. But absolutely, you know, that that's the way of this system. That's why I want to go to my crazy ass top sixteen winners, the top seeds pick lower seeds. But because I think it'd be both fun and interesting. But you know, we'll see. We'll see what changes. I feel like there's going to be some modification to the playoff process. It's not going to be anything that crazy because they're not me. But 
I, I do think that we're about at the point where it it's going to be worth it to really seriously consider it because this Oklahoma City team being in the playoffs would have risen a lot of boats. They would have increased the not the TV revenue, but it would have increased eyeballs and things like that. And while yay Celtics, yay Nets, congratulations, you got in. I think the playoffs will be better if at the bare minimum the 16 best were in. I I, I thought about this and. I actually am a proponent of keeping it like it is. And the reason, part of it, I just think is really cyclical for one. And for two, and not, I don't know if there's an actual correlation to some of this, but I do think that some of those young teams in the East, especially Brooklyn, like, yo, I mean, not Brooklyn, Boston, as someone who's watched this kid since high school, Marcus Smart's going to be really good, man. And like, and the fact that he's going up against Kyrie and Bron now, and like he's taking that challenge head on, and he's finding ways to even thrive now, like that dude wants to win at all costs. And so I think there's this secondary, tertiary benefit of getting those teams exposed, or getting those players exposed. You know, but man, I think Boston's probably going to be a problem. Like, Boston's an all star away. They got somehow found a way to get two because they're not paying anybody. So God forbid if they ever got two All Stars, Boston might be a real problem. And so you know, as much as I do think radical playoffs uh, would be a great idea, I'm almost a proponent of leaving that on NBA 2K. Man, let's keep it like it is because you know, let's we can't act like the East didn't used to run run it for a long, long time. And so it's just it's just Trump heavy on the West right now. And you know, I don't know if it's gonna last like that forever. Thanks for making me think that now I should try to browbeat my compadres over at 2K Sports to try to have them put in weird playoff formats into the game next year. I'm now going to do that. Hey, man, you're in the video game already, man. I'm just trying to be like you. I just want to be in the video game so I can talk crazy on people's uh, Twitter timelines on there and be like, man, you play like crap. Like, I just, I want that. I want that so bad. Uh, if you want it, if you want it and you work hard enough, you can get it, man. <laughs> all day, man, we, we all can, day. We, we can all live, we can all live the dream. That's all we were trying to do, man. That's it. Well, thank you so much for taking time. It's always great to talk to you, my man. Thanks to Ed Mazinette for coming on. You can read him at the Sports Fan Journal. He's the editor-in-chief there. You can listen to him on the Versus podcast, which is on iTunes. And you can also find the link at his Twitter profile. And his Twitter handle is EdTheSportsFan, E-D-T-H-E-S-P-O-R-T-S-F-A-N. I also want to give a quick shout-out to Jared Trace, who helped compose the music that you hear at the beginning and end of the podcast. It's his birthday this week. I've known him since growing up and was thrilled to have him be involved along with Stuart Layman Brown. The two of them put that together. So if you like it, they're the ones who deserve the credit. With that and with anything else, you can reach out to me at daniel.larue at realgm.com or preferably on Twitter at Larue D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X. I read everything. I respond to as much as I can. And also give a listen to... Nate Duncan's Dunked On podcast, which I've been regularly involved in so far, and will hopefully be involved in in a reduced capacity in the, in the near future, just because he's going to take on more of the technical lead. But it's a really strong effort, and I'm so proud of where it has come so far and where it is going. And the Dunked On podcast now has its own feed on iTunes, so it will not be a part of the Real GM Radio one in the very near future. So if you want to keep listening to it, you need to listen to it there. And I'm, I'm so thrilled for him with how well it's been going, and I'm beyond honored to be a part of it. So thank you so much for listening. Take care, and make it a great day.
When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. 